3: in three two one all right here we yeah. are west That's point going. mississippi home of mossy oak brand camo it's a it's a wonderful day this is a podcast that i've looked forward to since we started podcasting yes and we haven't been able to do this because uh the, the, the you know, covid kind of shut yeah the, it did. The, this one down Stephen
1: didn't come over and see us very much no. yeah but i understand
3: I wasn't allowed to get back into the country. Yeah.
1: <laughs> they had the gate closed,
3: huh? <laughs> they had the gate closed. Well and truly locked. So we've got this wonderful guest today. Absolutely. They, they, he, he, Stephen Bennett. Can we hit the horns for Stephen, please? There we go. There, yeah. there we go. So he's with PGG Wrightson out of New Zealand. And we have been dealing with these guys. F- Since uh, for, day one. So, yeah, For, for t- over 25 years. All the seed that comes for Biologic. All the New Zealand clovers and brassicas and chickens come from these guys. guys. And they're just wonderful people, Uh, scientists, seed scientists. and, and, and And we've had this. We wanted you to sit right there so we could listen to this wonderful accent you have. Well, thank you, Bobby. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, good night, uh, mate. Good oh, eye, mate. my God! Here we go. <laughs> oh,
4: did, you bring, did
1: you bring your, your crocodile your uh, well, hat? Well, again, that's, that's a different country. country. <laughs> that's <laughs> not a knife. This is a knife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, but seriously, so these are these seeds that we got from, from PPG, the very first biologic food plot plans were these seeds it was a fall attract and a summer management and a premium perennial. right
3: that is correct and this is and what, where it all started and a, sun, a sun and
1: what 98 i remember it look the bags that came in the yeah. smaller bags
2: looked like the the uh, vomit bags on the airplane oh they sure
1: did they had the paper and everything <laughs> yeah and, and, well
4: and, we've yeah. come a long way haven't yeah, we yeah, right. like <laughs> we got plastic <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah. nonetheless uh, it's been a very long relationship and a lot of people don't know uh, I was just telling Rob yesterday, you know, the, about the 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 science uh, behind biologic. This is where it's all based out of. So, what these guys do, um, as far as you know, raising uh, venison and, and red stag and all that they do over there, that's the the science and the technology that we have brought back to the states to use on whitetails.
3: It's a fascinating story, and I'd, I'd like to make sure we touch up base on all aspects of it. We need to be prepared. Max got a million questions Oh, good, yeah. good, good. So, good. Uh, you know, but let's just kind of slowly, methodically uh, ease into this. Well, Let me set the stage. So, Stephen looks like... <laughs> Do you remember, like in the eleventh grade, and you had a professor that was—he always had a Bunsen burner and he talked about yeah, the elements yeah, and all that. Kind of. He kind of—he kind of looks like that guy. Hmm. But he, when you—I don't
2: he, think he looks that nerdy. I don't I mean, either.
3: When you drill <laughs> into you, a conversation with him, he, he's really deep. He's yeah. going to be able to explain a lot of things in layman's terms to really help us understand it. So I'm good. Again, looking, I'll say it. I'm really looking forward to this, and the COVID has prevented this. From happening for the last couple of years. Steven, guys, would normally travel over this time of year. So for the last 25 years, y'all have come, yep. except for yeah. during this, this COVID break. Absolutely. I mean, we love
4: being here because it's a great part of the world. Um, you guys are doing a great job with our product. And so we like coming and having a chat and chewing the fat and seeing how things are growing. Yeah, and I bringing think, us
1: some new
2: seeds. I think wow. he really comes to go eat, eat at Anthony's. Oh, for sure. There's nothing wrong with that.
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So, yeah. So in the background, you can hear Austin Delano uh, laughing. There. Oh, mad scientist, yeah. Austin.
1: he's doing field research this weekend.
3: I, I'm not sure. Uh, rumor has it he missed a deer in what? the last couple of days. Austin, I, I what's up? Know. What's up,
1: buddy?
5: Well, you know it's it's uh, heartbreaking It's not really the right word for it it's 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 a notch past that. But <laughs> it's worse than that. You know it's uh just typical bow hunting in terrible conditions, you know, hot, 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 and all of a sudden you get the right weather and you get a deer to act like you wanted to, but we couldn't, we couldn't get him inside a 45-yard, so, you know, 47 and some wind, and I just didn't hit him all the bulls down to,
1: man. I got you. Well, we're sorry about that.
5: Yeah, I'll get over it the next 30, 40 years. Yeah, that's so right. I, well, I
1: was fixing to use the Mr. Fox quote, but you've obviously heard it before. You'll get over in 30, 40
3: years. <laughs> yeah. Atlanta, I haven't been bow hunting in the last few days. of you? I mean, we've been here. Well, like I think well, you
1: have been bow hunting in the last few days from what everybody's saying. You're after old pork chop, aren't you? Oh, yeah. yeah
3: but I'm saying in the last. In the last 24 well, hours well, you well, haven't of
1: well, uh, uh, the work week. I okay. Mean, well, you were bow hunting this weekend. Yeah, the weekend. So y'all are both bow hunting way more than me. Well, so don't act like the victim <laughs> oh but but you're the guy that's been on the tractor for the last two weeks i have been uh, doing some serious gamekeeping now there's no doubt about that so putting a lot of the ppg stuff in the ground around here so super excited about that
3: so let's keep this moving along so okay. uh, blood on the biologic it's uh th- it's the time of year it's starting to happen they're uh, starting to
1: hit the ground that's yeah. right except I- except for austin
3: did you see, see the <laughs> Did you see the Deer Mark Drury killed?
1: I did not, but I heard he killed another monster.
3: He killed another monster. You know, wow. it's now
1: it's just like an expectation. You know, now I mean, if he doesn't kill one, I would be let down.
2: That's what we need to do. If he doesn't kill one, we can tell
1: everybody. Yeah. Right? So when Mark Drury didn't one, get one, we'll, <laughs> we'll have a Mark <laughs> didn't kill a big deer this year. Podcast. This week,
3: I bet we don't get to have one. Mac, you had a. Uh, you, so uh, you, what were you were going to tell us about somebody?
0: Yeah, so uh, one of all our friends, Ethan Strunk, ended up shooting about a, I think he said it was a 180 inch deer and seven eighths. So Double I mean,
1: brow tines, like the G2s on this thing are, whew,
0: is that
1: wrong? You were going to be very jealous. I am saying it. Oh, so. you, you are going to be green.
0: Oh, it's, it's a big deer. And one, I mean, I don't know what this is. One takeaway that I took from him is he's, he said he, he shot the deer, thought he had a pretty good shot on it found the blood started following the blood but then just had a feeling that hey i need to back out and then he backed out went in there the next morning and found the deer so that is a good thing that he did that yeah yeah that's a heck of a
3: deer that's for sure you ever had that feeling dudley you need to back out you need something i
0: have that feeling a lot
3: yeah
2: not just with deer (laughs) especially hanging uh having you
1: across the office from me
3: okay all right so uh any anything else Blood on the I've I really noticed
1: but I think youth season's coming around, so there's going to be some blood on the biologic here around. Here I place.
2: hope so. so. Yeah. That's, we're working on it. Yeah. Little Dud missed one with his crossbow. Oh that no! That was about. it. Was really my fault. I, um, I misjudged uh, the distance, and I assumed that the deer was going to duck, mm-hmm. and the deer did not. Ah. And it, it just I told him to aim for the armpit, and the deer didn't didn't drop at all. And it went right under his it under went his right under him. Oh man. So, Anyway. I can
5: show you some recent foods of that same thing that happened to a man.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what, that, is that the third excuse, Austin?
1: I think so. Oh, I've got 10 If you want, wind, to distance, oh, oh, yeah. not dropping, hot, cold. How's yeah. the crops look I mean, up I'd, there? <laughs>
5: Sorry. Oh, uh, it's been it's been pretty rough up here. Um, yeah, just it, the drought's been you know when you travel a little way from home it it just goes to show you how how extensive it's been across you know the whole middle section of the country east and west sides of the mississippi river and and seeing the big rivers right now dry um you know and nothing but the channels with water in them is really eye-opening
1: yeah it is
5: really is Well,
1: well we might get some rain down here this weekend
3: yeah, there's a good chance Saturday and a little, little bit of chance Sunday, so that's good. So, yeah, guys, and you know, that's one thing I, that I'll go ahead and kind of start this talking about the, the biologic seed products that we get from you guys. They seem to be better adapted for surviving in drier conditions than most anything I've ever seen. And I'm speaking of the brassicas. I'm looking across at Stephen; he's nodding his head. Yeah, well, it's one of the things we do
4: in our selection process, Bobby. We we do go for plants that are more resilient and tougher and and dry environments. And, I mean, we sell a lot of seed into Australia. Australia is a very low rainfall country. um, And so we've got plants that have got to survive in that environment. and, And many of them do really well. Yeah.
3: Yeah, so what What I've noticed that this year with what's going on, a lot of the stuff that I planted germinated, and it was just hanging on, waiting for this next rain. but it, it held on through all that. It had a pretty good root system underneath the ground, so now that it's gotten a little moisture last weekend, I think we're— jumping yeah i think it'll be okay yeah and that's indicative of what you're talking about
4: well in particular with the um, Rower and the spitfire those forage rates that's what they do they've got that ability to just hold in there when things are really dry we see them in the summer at home you know wilting and going purple and all those sorts of things and then bang you get a little bit of rain and off they go again and they build some pretty big volume pretty quickly in the fall yeah
2: it it just reminds me i i'm always glad to plant you know at least a third of my plots in brassicas and you you plant them early Um, if if a lot of us hadn't done that this year you know all all the stuff you know some of the blends that you may wait a little while to plant uh, I think we're all thankful that we got some Mm -hmm. brassicas in the ground because that's really the only thing we have growing right now yep and uh, I've seen that across the board uh, north to south
3: this year. So look, let me start this by saying because some of these younger listeners that that may not have heard this story, but back over twenty five years ago when we met these guys from New Zealand, the Wrightson guys, you're a, at that point your your company was a hundred years old. You were just a legendary seed company down there, but we learned that the number. Uh, that, that the new zealand deer farmer and that's a big industry in, in new zealand it's the number two industry in new zealand tourism being number one deer farming being number two the new zealand deer farmer is just like lanny he wants to grow a big deer with big antlers because they sell all the meat they can grow to into uh, and, and, uh, restaurants in europe and they sell the velvet antlers uh, to to the asians uh, people like dudley by that for aphrodisiac <laughs> <Right>. so
5: <laughs> yeah. they're, they're
3: wanting to grow big deer with big antlers that's right and yeah. so that so you guys have been working down there for a number of years to develop cultivars that that worked the way a deer needs them to work not necessarily a cow because it until this time all the forages that were planted for white tail deer and uh, do you need to be excused? Or yeah, do you I need to go back. back, back. back. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we're developed for cattle. Yeah. You know, they were Auburn and Mississippi State, and Cl- it was and all about
1: beef over here. I mean, it is. Yeah, that's right. And it's important to remember too: New Zealand is an island. You know, and so they don't have the landmass that we have here either. So they were having to engineer really highly productive plants because it's they're called paddocks, aren't they? Yep. That y'all yep. y'all raise on. So where our cattle have these vast pastures that they just walk around and graze. Mm-hmm. These are super concentrated. The way I I think about it, uh, and and they're having to concentrate. You know, uh, their not only their livestock on these these paddocks, uh, and on those paddocks are these very very highly nutritious, highly palatable forages. So that's why it makes so much sense for deer farming.
3: Yeah, and so, and to that point, Lanny, these guys have smaller acreage. Yep, and, and they're trying to be Hector, Hectorage. Hectorage. and they're trying to be as productive as, as possible. possible. And that's where Wrightson came in, and they would take mm-hmm. the characteristics from one plant and cross them with another it's just very scientific very interesting so let's let's get started could you talk about why brassicas are so loved by the deer and why that's a good thing because of what a brassica actually can provide for them so the
4: big thing that why deer love brassicas is the energy content that's in them they're the really high quality. It's just like eating a bowl of candy. You know, there's a lot of sugar in there. There's a lot of energy for the animal to grow and do its thing, and it just loves them. And uh, the leafy state that the plant gets in and produces lots of short leaves really quickly, graze them off, and then they'll regrow again. And that's what the deer love, is that short, healthy leaf. And um, that's what our plants do. I mean, we breed for... for uh, plants that are highly productive one of the big things that we do in our breeding program is select for high yield but before we do that we screen all the parents we use for palatability so first of all they've got to be eaten by the animal if they don't get eaten by the animal they're out of the breeding program and then we start from there to select for all the other traits so right from day one we're working with highly palatable plants that the animals love and they just grow well on them yeah
1: and palatability is it tastes good yeah that's a good good. <laughs> fancy way of saying they, they <laughs> like the way it tastes well,
3: so at one time, one of the guys, you know, there's been a number of uh, representatives of and that have, have been here. But at one time, I think I was told that there were over, I think, over 700 varieties that were trialed and push to the side to select the 100 that would make it, that then would turn into 50, that then would turn it to to work down to the right ones that are actually finding their way into this bag of seed that's coming all the way from New Zealand and landing here in the United States.
4: Yeah, that's exactly right, Bobby. I mean, we screen hundreds of plants that that never make it to the market. We would create, for everyone that comes to the market, we probably create 50 lines that are discarded and um they just don't have the traits that the market wants or that the animals like or that we like and we just simply discard them and start again and um so we've constantly got this breeding program that's going on year after year after year looking to improve the on the plants that we already have and and there is just simply hundreds that are discarded before we get the good one that comes to the market.
3: Mm. You know, and that's what Lane asked, what's been really impressive because when we started, you know, we were just super happy with these six or eight cultivars right. that we had, but three years later, they're coming with a uh, new and improved, new and improved, and um, and it's every few years, and and there, there's a brassica breeding program down there. It was Andrew Dumbleton, if I'm not mistaken, and you you guys. I mean, he's there in a lab coat pollinating plants with Q tips. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really some fascinating stuff. Yeah.
1: The problem is, they tell us about it five or 10 years before they can give it to us. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, like, we're working on we're, the, the, you know, we're finally going to be able to bring some stuff to market that we've been really talking about for five years. Yeah. So, super excited about that. Yeah. We want it now though. And it does take a long time.
4: It's a a slow process but we get there in the end.
3: So why is New Zealand considered the world's leader in forage research? Can you kind of explain that?
4: Yeah well I think it's just as you said before we've got an intensive um, farming system. We've got a lot of animals that need to be fed in the summer or the winter in particular the winter and um, we just need the forage. Our, Our pastures don't grow at that time of year. Our animals are all outdoors, all year round, um, never housed in the winter or anything like that. So we have to feed them on highly productive forage plants in the winter months. And um, and then in the summer when we get dry conditions like you're experiencing here at the moment, we get this most summers. And then we've got to feed them in the summer when our, um, when our pastures don't grow. So um, forage crops are just really important to our farming systems and our deer farm systems. And so we just... Um, uh, I guess we have spent a lot of time trying to develop new cultivars that um, adapt to the climate and can, and can be productive for the animals to eat.
3: So it's not just brassicas. You guys have some of the best chicory. Yep. Yeah. And some, uh, I mean, and we've had them for years. The red and white clovers. Yeah. Yep. They're very impressive.
4: Yep. So our pasture system is really built around clovers and legumes. And um, really important for us to have red and white clover in our pasture system. So, again, we're constantly selecting the white clovers exactly like we do the brassicas, under tough conditions, under grazing, checking that they're productive and persistent and all of those things. So, yeah, really, really key to our farming systems is the legumes. Um, you know, you free nitrogen, the way nitrogen costs are at the moment. I mean, legumes are really, really important. Oh, yeah. And so we're leading the way in those having those grazing-tolerant um, legumes.
3: So is there a way to to in today's world, urea and some other sources of nitrogen are just through the roof. I don't know that, if they've ever been higher. Could be wrong about that, but I don't think they have. But is there a way to put a dollar value or or a, how can you how can you put a value on what your clover is performing, the service that it's performing for your soil in the in terms of producing nitrogen?
4: Well, look, we know from our trials in New Zealand that every um, every um, white clover pasture, when we measure the performance of white clover we can measure the dry matter it produces and we can back calculate from there how much free nitrogen that's producing and what we do is we work on about, and this is in metric terms so I apologise for this, <laughs> but we work on about 200 kilograms of nitrogen per hectare per year that a decent pasture sward will produce so you work that back, it's what about uh, Mac? Uh, 400, it's about 400 pounds <laughs> look at that
5: there you go, like
3: Mike.
0: Get yeah. that calculator out. Yeah. So, that, Mississippi
3: State would be proud. No yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> <go> doubt.
0: <down. laughs>
4: and so that's a lot of free nitrogen, 400 pounds per hectare divided by 2.5, so 175 pounds per acre or something like that. Yeah, that's and a huge deal. It really is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot yeah. of
2: people are getting into this regenerative agriculture and all of that with the fertilizer prices skyrocketing. And, uh, yeah, you can use this stuff to your advantage.
3: So are you guys, um, obviously you're in the ag market in a big way, are y'all anticipating fertilizer coming back down anytime soon? What are you hearing? Well, we're hearing that um,
4: it probably isn't going to rush back down. I mean, it will correct and markets go up and down and, and, um, you know, it will definitely come down. But right now there's a whole raft of reasons for it not coming down in the near future. So legumes are really important. In any in any system any cropping system any uh any pasture system or any any food plot system
3: so let let's stop right there i want to make sure everybody learns as we as we go and sometimes we take for granted things. Yeah, they know can for you, you right. tell us uh, what a le- we call it a legume. legume you're calling it something <laughs> a legume he's probably but, pronouncing so, it yes. properly yeah so
4: tell us what a legume is well it's a nitrogen fixing plant so the plant that takes uh, that um, fixes at- atmospheric nitrogen and so any of the plants so you've got beans you've got peas you've got lucerne or alfalfa as it's known here you've got uh white clover red clover all of those sorts of things are legumes yeah did y'all
3: know kudzu is a legume i did know that yeah mm-hmm. and just cheaper. because of just because of this thing Yes. yes. yeah but
2: um, it is interesting how it you know the most nitrogen on earth is in the air yeah and so They've figured out a way to get it out of the air. It's really cool. You know, like uh, when lightning strikes in a thunderstorm, that creates nitrogen that falls to the ground, but it it pales to what uh, a legume
1: can do. Learn something new every day. Uh, How about that? That's cool.
4: Yeah.
3: So in the same way you just explained what a legume is, could you explain what a brassica is? Yeah,
4: okay, Bobby. So the brassicas are um, – there's a few different types of brassicas, but the brassicas that we're – Familiar with and you guys use are usually either turnips or forage rape um, and the or radish. Radish is a member of the, the Nebraska family as well. And so, what you've got is you've got a basically a highly leafy plant, a plant that produces a lot of leaf really quickly. Some of them have bulbs, some of them have stems, and um, they're just uh, a plant that's adapted to growing in either dry conditions or cool conditions and can store a lot of dry matter um in its stem or in its leaf or in its bulb and a lot of energy to um, to feed animals with yeah yeah And,
3: and one more could you go one step further and explain the difference in forage and garden varieties yeah it's
4: just that's the important thing so so the forage varieties are Bred for yield and selected for their their productivity. The the vegetable ones, what they tend to be is what we call short cycle brassicas. So they tend to be brassicas that will be planted, will produce leaf that you can harvest, or or a head that you can harvest, or maybe even a pod, a seed pod, and um, in the case of oilseed rape and things like that. So. Those vegetable and oilseed types tend to be what we call short cycle, and they'll bolt to seed really quickly, and they have no forage value because they just don't produce enough leaf. Um, so you've really got to be careful that you select for the right ones, which are the forage ones.
1: And all of ours are forage Absolutely.
3: Brassicas. We don't even think about no, a garden no. variety. Just because no. you
1: know, again, because it's for deer. So if you go to the co-op and you say, hey, I just want some brassicas, you're not going to get the same thing that it's you're getting. probably going to be dwarf essex, right? Yeah. yeah. Which is a garden variety.
3: Yeah that's exactly and that's how people have kind of knocked us off through yeah. the years uh, I mean there's been 25 years worth of guys uh, helping us from Wrightson and we have said this is our biggest problem is that guys go to a little local farm store and go I just want some of those Brassicas, you know man. and they and they just give them a brown bag of garden variety and then the guy has failure the deer don't like it as much and they've then they, they assume that's biologic, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's it not. could not be further from the truth.
4: Exactly, and there are a lot of um, a lot of different types in the ve- in the vegetables um, space. So you just really got to be careful and absolutely know what you're buying. But so the only way really is to to um, buy those forage, true forage times.
2: Right, and and I will say that, you know, some of these co-op varieties, deer will eat. Oh, sure. But they have not been extensively selected for this particular well, application. I, to
1: me, and, the forage variety means that it gets eaten and then it creates more leaves. You know, where our garden variety is more tasty, I guess is the best way to put it. So the, he's selected for palatability and forage production because we know how much forage it takes to grow a quality whitetail, you
0: know, so. and, and nutritional value. Right. I mean, that's the that's kind of the, th- the third thing that's that makes the biologic brassicas so different is the nutritional they're value,
1: digestible nutrients that are both Absolutely. Yeah.
2: A lot of that stuff will say VNS on the bag for variety not stated, um, and uh, it's just they they grow that particular brassica, harvest the seed, clean it, do whatever they need to do put It in a bag and it's at the co op, so you don't yep. always know exactly what it is.
1: All brassicas are not the same,
3: no, they're not. <laughs> and you know, and, and so through the years, I mean, I've got a, a plant tissue test that we ran back in the day, um, that we, we can put out on the web if we need if people yeah. need, need, need sure. to see it. But so that the the protein, the crude protein values were, I've showed it to you just a little 38 percent. Yeah. digestible TDN was at I think 84%. Yeah, so eighty four percent. So it's just, they're just phenomenal plants.
4: Yeah, absolutely, Bobby. I mean you cut them in the right state or graze them at the right state when they're short and leafy and they are phenomenal. Um, I mean like any plant once it's gone up to seed it's not palatable and the energy levels drop but if you can keep it in a leafy state um, then that's exactly what you want and that's where you get that really high quality and I mean as I said before we're selecting for these plants that remain leafy for long periods of time under stress and that's when you get that high quality and you can grow animals quickly on that stuff.
2: So Uh, We've been talking about deer and brassicas and how much they they like them and how it's good for deer. Um, We were just talking about legumes and how they're good for the soil because they fix nitrogen from the air. Can you tell us a little bit about how brassicas are good at scavenging nitrogen from from down below?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, they do. They pick up a lot of nutrients from the soil, and nitrogen's one of them. And they they and they utilise that in their growth. So they uh, they have the ability to push their root system down and then just draw up any of those elements that are available. And there's some really key um, nutrients that they need for their growth. Nitrogen is one of them. The other one's phosphate. They need lots of phosphate at establishment to get good plant population. And so there's some key things that you need to do to get them right. But they they really love. Um, lots of phosphate lots of nitrogen in that early phase of their growth as well yeah
2: and uh, you know I, th- I think that's one of the reasons farmers use them a lot in cover crops is because they have such an aggressive tap root so the for example the farmer plants corn and feeds it a lot of nitrogen well a corn corn roots are pretty shallow and nitrogen moves quickly through the soil you know deeper down into the column and the uh, gets past some of those corn roots. And then the, the brassicas, when you follow up with some, some radish, rape, whatever, uh, it has such a deep tap root, it's able to get or scavenge that nitrogen that got below that previous crop. And uh, either a deer can eat it or, you know, when the brassica dies the following spring, it releases that nitrogen onto the soil surface for the next crop. A little higher up. So your legumes yeah. fix the nitrogen and your brassicas scavenge the nitrogen. So they kind of work, work in harmony together. together, a combination. Yeah.
1: That's cool.
4: Yeah. And they do it at a time of year when the soils are prone to leaching a lot of nitrogen as well. So that autumn growth, that fall growth and that early winter growth, that's when they pick it up. And that's when you're in the most prone state for your nitrogen to leach out the bottom. And so that's exactly why they use them in those cover crop systems after corn, Dudley, yeah.
3: So, Stephen, you might want to get you a sip of water because I'm fixing to turn Mac loose on you, and he's, he's going to rapid uh, fire. But so while you're getting that sip of water, I'm going to ask you: Can you think? I mean, you've been coming up here a long time. You've seen some of our plots and uh, conditions that guys are trying to go grow plots. But can you think of some tips that you could give our listeners that, boy, this would help you help you pr- grow a better food plot? That involves Nebraska's.
4: Yeah, I reckon there's probably three key tips. What you? What now?
3: I reckon. I think.
4: <laughs> reckon. Reckon. We use that. Yeah, we yeah. use it all the time. Go ahead, mate. <laughs> I wrecked them. Damn near killed them. <laughs> so there's three key things that I think are really important. The first one's do a soil test. Okay, so you really got to know what you're dealing with in terms of your soil, and um, and I won't go into all the details about doing that. I mean, there's plenty of people that uh, in this room and and uh, online that can tell you what to do there. But then correct the the um, issues if there are any on that soil test. Um, and as I mentioned before, phosphates really important. Decide how you're going to plant it. And um, the planting method, whether you're going to go no-till, whether you're going to cultivate the soil, whichever way you're going to do it, but decide, do it early, so plan. We often say um, proper planning prevents poor performance, and so that's a really, really key thing. So plan what you're going to do, do your soil test, and then if you're cultivating, the other key thing to do is make sure that you consolidate the soil because what we see a lot of is that people just throw the seed on top of a uh, worked paddock or a... um, cultivated area and there's no consolidation that seed some of it will sit on top some of it will go down deep and then you get really uneven establishment and you might even get gaps or areas in the paddock where it doesn't establish so consolidate the soil after it's being worked make sure that you um, then um, the the key part about that is when you consolidate it is you bring moisture back up to the surface and it's right there for the seed to to utilize when it germinates And the final thing is don't drill the seed too deep. So you really only want to go about half an inch deep for the brassicas. It's really important you don't go too deep because if you go too deep, the plant uses all of its vigor up trying to come through the the soil surface and then it's just got no energy to grow. So near the surface, consolidation so that you can control that sowing depth that also brings the moisture back up and then bingo, you've got a good establishment.
2: So... Clarification. Yeah, consolidation is
3: cultipacking.
2: Right. Yeah. Um, ah, if yeah. you don't have yeah. a if you don't have a cultipacker, you can drive back and forth and use your four wheeler tires, uh, things like that. It's way better than dragging. So, uh, the way I explain it to people is, uh, if you pick up some soil, just say you dissed or cultivated your soil. It feels fluffy and dry, but when you squeeze it in your hand and and make a ball of it, it it almost feels cold with moisture. And so by culty-packing it, i.e. consolidating, you're putting that seed by more moisture.
3: So, uh, Stephen, you saw the culty-packer we have in the front room when you walk in. That's one anybody can afford. It's it's a Packer Max, a Gamekeeper edition. Mm -hmm. Few hundred dollars. It's Very a great ambitious.
4: it's an absolutely great machine. I mean we use a more industrial scale one of those at home. You know, we've got big what we call flat rollers. They're massive. They probably stand about four or five feet high and that's about all about consolidating, pushing the stones back down under the soil. We fill those up with water. So your little machine there is absolutely perfect. And the thing I like about that is it's got the V's on it, the ridges. And what that does also is it helps break up any of the clods that might be on the surface. And then um, it actually just, uh, yeah, really packs it down perfectly. So that's a great machine. And so the the guys at Furminator. Lanny, you've been
3: using a Furminator. I
1: I have been on a Furminator for the last uh, two, three days. So let me tell you what, it's a great product, no doubt about it. And, and Cultipac's right behind you, puts those little ridges in there. So You don't job. realize how
3: good that is until you use one.
1: No, you don't. It, until you see until you have your field prepared, then you drive over with the firmament. Then you go back and look where you went over, and you're like, oh, man.
2: It just old, looks pretty, old, too. I want my whole field to look it, like yeah, that. Yeah, it, that. That's right. it makes it look like you know what you're doing. It does. It looks pro. That's right.
3: Okay, okay guys. So, look. Hey, Austin, I'm, get ready because you're going to follow Mike with a uh, with, with question. But, Stephen, get ready because I – We'll stop him at some point, okay? <laughs> okay.
0: So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw Bobby for a loop on this one. Uh, I I've have a lot of scientific questions, but I'm going to ask a pretty basic one uh, to start off with. What is your favorite brassica for mm. forage for whitetail?
4: Well, I think there's probably two that spring to mind. I mean, uh, well, actually, no. I've probably got four or
3: five. But <laughs> 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 Where do I start?
4: Uh, Chicory is a fantastic plant for, for um for white tail, it um, seems
3: like people don't really yeah uh, over here they don't give that a chance
1: do. it does real well in the summer doesn't it does, does well late summers summer. yeah. when i
4: see it be yep. utilized got a big deep taproot that goes down really really far down and picks up a lot of a uh, lot of water um, grows well really leafy really high, highly digestible um, and um, got lots of high energy in it so that's one plant i do like I mean, you can't go past white clover for for any animal, particularly yeah, white, white tail. They love white clover. And then, if you said to me about the brassicas, there's probably two that spring to mind. There's the endurance radish, which is the new radish, and Austin, seen you've seen the. the we got them in the ground right now. Ground. That's a that's a wonderful plant. Um, there's a really interesting story with that one. It's a, it's a really leafy plant. It's got a beautiful big bulb on it. Um, doesn't run up to seed. It's got a nice soft leaf for radish. So that's a really interesting one. And then the old favourite, the byrower, that's mm-hmm. been around forever. That's I mean, my favourite one. Yeah, yeah. I eat always eating yeah,
2: He's like, can I just get that by itself? Yeah, yeah.
1: That's the one I pick You know, yeah. to, to eat I, Look, myself. it's delicious. It is delicious. Yeah, yeah. It really absolutely. Yeah. I eat the out Yeah,
4: And the thing about byrower is it's reliable. It does what it does year in, year out. It's, yeah. it's leafy. It's... Um, it's got great quality and it just keeps growing after it's been grazed off it's it's um it's quick out of the ground the animals get onto it early because there's no maturity period like there is with some of those old rapes like you mentioned before dudley the, the dwarf essex really that they're unpalatable to the animal until they're about 90 or 120 days well that's mm. not the case with biro it's palatable right at day one you know and, and so we see animals grazing it after about six weeks. So, so sorry, Mac, I couldn't give you one. But no, four or five. we didn't. Expect <laughs> you hit to one, be one, one that I wanted. Uh, so back to the endurance radish. And that's this a brand is a new, new radish.
1: It's a brand it, new radish. Yeah, we should have it on the market. Something limited availability next year, I believe.
3: Um, that's what we're hoping yeah, for. We're hoping, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, Stephen, you may have cracked the, the the door open. We may get a lot of requests for this <laughs> thing, but it's uh it's coming down the pipe, guys. Yeah. And it's
2: interesting that the Bayaroa you were mentioning is. It's a classic. It's It's been around, at least for us, since, day, since, since day, day one. one. Yeah. Sure so, has. Yep. Yep.
0: Interesting. But the, the the endurance radish, to me, is what's so interesting, is the, the trials and the time that's been put making this radish. I mean, it predates war, too, is right?
4: <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, there's a bit of history there. and I mean, the, the, if you go right the way back to the um, to when these plants were first um, started breeding them, it is way, way back um in the 1940s um some interesting stories about um this plant comes if i can go into yeah it. sure we please love it. do um so this plant um is a cross between a new zealand radish and a south african radish and if we trace our, our lineage right back the south african radish came out of japan in the uh in straight after world war Two. um some south african farmers brought these seeds back from japan and um they decided that this plant would have a place in South Africa for feeding their, their cattle. And um, they started growing seed of it and multiplying it up and planting it. And then the South African government started looking at how they could, they had a breeding program, and they started looking at how they could improve the um, productivity of this radish. So they started a breeding program on these fodder radishes in South Africa that had a lineage back to Japan. Um, And then in the um, late 80s, our plant breeder, he was working on breeding radishes as well, and he was breeding leafy ones that had lots of regrowth and were soft in the leaf. And and, um, he got talking to the guy in South Africa, they swapped some germplasm, and all of a sudden we had a, um, 10 years later or 15 years later, we had a new radish cultivar that was um, selected from... Um, parents of New Zealand and and South African lineage so yeah
1: so the the most of the radishes that are on the or sold as uh, ours too are daikon radishes ours is a a more fresh or higher the highest quality one we can find so if you're buying currently buying radishes here, you're probably buying a daikon radish. No,
3: that is correct. And so, it's a great radish. It's a great right radish, but it's
1: a tillage radish, right? So what Dudley was talking about, it goes way down. That's why they plant them as crops. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dudley. I'm just yeah, regurg- they, yeah. regurgitating you know, what you say. Uh, and where this plant, like we were talking about, is a forage variety. So... Not only does it have that deep taproot, but it also has been selected because it produces so much more forage than the daikon.
3: It's got a different-shaped tuber as well, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Bobby. Did you say tuber? It's tuber. tuber. Yeah. <laughs> Good day, Mike. We,
2: we call it tuber, and it's, it's actually a bulb, but it's just ingrained in our mind. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they're slightly different bulb.
4: shapes, and um, there's a few other traits that are different. But you think about the daikons. Everybody's seen a daikon radish. Mm-hmm. They have that long cylindrical bulb, and they produce some leaf. And then, in the wrong conditions, they can bolt up to seed quite quickly. And 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 are, that's what makes them cheap, because they're really easy to produce seed off. And mm. you know, there's no hiding that they're cheap. They're really easy to get hold of. And that's simply because they're bred to go to seed, and um, produce lots of seed. And so this one, the endurance, is bred exactly the opposite. It's really late flowering. That's one of the key traits the breeders mm-hmm. were looking for. They didn't want something that went to seed because they wanted to extend the grazing period, the window of harvest and um get this leafiness and a lot of radishes also have um prickly leaves um they have little wee what they call trichomes little wee hairs on the leaves yeah. which can be unpalatable to, yeah. the, to animals and you you know you've probably touched them and felt the, mm-hmm. the leaves and 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 so when an animal's eating that it's in its mouth and that's not so good so our breeder alan he selected for this um this leafy soft waxy leaf that just did not have those trichomes on it. Hmm. And that was a really interesting trait because that automatically improves palatability. And then you've got the, the bulb shape, slightly bigger bulb. It's what I consider sort of a more of a football bulb above the ground. It's quite round and it's quite can be really big. It's still got that penetrating root and does all of that soil conditioning stuff and picks up all the nitrogen like a daikon radish does, but it's got a different bulb shape that's more productive and, um, yeah, it's just a really nice leafy um, plant. And the other thing that actually what we're noticing now that we're using it more and more in farms is we're seeing that it's starting to, uh, it, that it does have a sort of a crowning effect where it'll shoot more leaves come off the crown huh. of the bulb. And the diacons don't tend to do that. They tend to have a few leaves that go straight up and then a stem that comes up, whereas this stuff will actually start to shoot um, from a crown Mm -hmm. and puts more leaves out rather than going up it tends to go out more and that's Hmm. a really interesting trait because that actually gives you some re Well I tell
1: you what we're super excited about it and I think that I just can't wait to get it out and available to everybody.
3: So let me ask you this and you tell me if this surprises you what you know about radishes but I'm going to mention a couple of our blends and you know what's in the blends, and anybody can see on the bio. In fact, yeah, we encourage that, people to look on our read that. That's, uh, that's and, the difference in that.
1: biologic and everything else. That's it, it, right. it is.
3: So, so like what we typically experience with the deer radishes is we see early and mid season heavily heavy grazing pressure on those, and they don't even last until the end of the season they're usually grazed down but that's when they go after the bulbs not the tubers don't well that's sweet. so but then we've got a product called maximum and we've selected with your help we've got cultivars that are attractive early mid and late so we see that 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 blend last throughout the hunting season and we've got winter bulbs and we see they're not palatable till later in the year and, and so guys that are Interested in trying to have food in late December and January, and February, which is a good thing to do. That's when we see those being utilized. But knowing the cultivars that we have selected, does any of that surprise you the way that's playing out? No I think that's exactly right Bobby I think,
4: and I think the important thing on, on any food plot is actually having that, that range of forage that's available because the, you don't know when the deer are going to come in I mean they come in at different stages different times so having something on offer all the time is actually really important and then when you get to that late period and that late fall early winter period it's really really critical to have something there and that's where those winter bulbs work perfectly and that's actually what excites me about the endurance radish as well because it will go late into that season, it's got mm-hmm. the ability to hold with our bolting up to seed and, and still producing leaf so there'll be a bulb there there'll be the leaf production so I think we've probably got something in that that could be um, grazed early and actually could have that sort of mid-season mid to late season grazing as well not as late as the winter bulbs for sure you know the old turnips that are in that are good solid turnip for later in the season so I think we've got something that's got a wide
3: fit but um, you know not quite as late as the winter bulbs. So let me do this. Um, 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 I want want to get Austin on next, but while we're listening to Austin ask, Mac, would you do a fact check for me? Would you look up the tonnage, per acre tonnage of ryegrass and just have that number for me when we come back? So, I mean, I don't know, so we'll we'll all learn this at the same time. So, Austin, have you got a comment or a question for Stephen?
5: Yeah, so, Stephen, something we've been dealing with a lot, especially with the drought, Uh, the past few months and being a really tough fall growing conditions really everywhere that food plots have been planted in regards to pelletized type fertilizers versus foliar or liquid applied uh, fertilizers. If you had a ideal stage of growth and let's, let's just take brassicas for example, Uh, with so many people having to either replant or just having to plant late in the season compared to, when we would normally plant and we're already looking at, you know, limited amount of growth because, you know, we've got days that are getting shorter. People's soil temperatures are going to start going downward. And, you know, the, the trend for growing things is going down instead of up. If you had an ideal stage of growth to apply a foliar fertilizer, or a liquid fertilizer for a brassica crop like Maxim, when what stage of growth would you say that would be in relationship to, the day it germinated.
4: Ooh, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> Austin. Never comes with like uh, what do deer like. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, that's <yeah>, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now that is a that is a tough one to answer. But typically, what we would say in normal growing conditions that you would do it, you would apply your foliar fertilizer just before canopy closure. So by that, you're probably looking at sort of what? What am I saying here, Lenny, About eight, eight inches, inches, eight yeah. inches high. Mm-hmm. Just as those those big paddle leaves start to close over and touch each other, that's when it's perfect. Now, um, when it's dry, obviously you won't, you may not even have that stage yet. But I think the key thing then is to still get the foliar fertilizer on, um, as when the moisture comes, the plant will utilize it. And probably the foliar fertilizer is the better one in this stage, because the risk is that if you will put um, pelletized fertilizer down and broadcast it on that it may not get broken down in time for the plant to pick it up mm-hmm. so I think that's a really important thing to look at in these dry conditions is certainly foliar fertilizing yeah for sure
3: it's interesting when you uh you talk about foliar fertilizers and and what we've got in this the, the we've kind of learned something Stephen I don't even know if you know about this but we've got a product called mean green that you can mix with water and you can it turns these plants almost blue they're so great. <laughs> it's incredible.
1: It's good stuff. And then we've got our liquid clover fertilizer and our liquid food plot
3: fertilizers yeah, too. That's right. So we, we've got a couple of different ways that you can do it. But I, I've become a big fan of the foliar applied fertilizers. And Deadland, you're shaking your head. I know you have. Oh as well. yeah.
2: It's got. You know, it's hard to get micros and bagged fertilizer these days. So it's that's a, immediately available to the plant um, when the ground is cold and wet. Um, it's it's more difficult for them to uptake nutrients from the ground, so the foliars help with that as well.
3: So when so when you ride over a clover plot and you're spraying it, you're not really hurting those plants, are you? No. The, the ty- they, they bounce right back. It's right sp- back. Yeah. Yeah.
4: yeah. 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 What I just tell people is, don't look behind. Cause you'll see wheel marks a couple of days later they're gone. You gone. don't look around, <laughs> you never see them again.
3: So is there a time of the day or a time of uh, or conditions that are better, or conditions you wouldn't uh, ride across a plot like that? Well
4: uh, yeah, I mean if, if it was really really wet Sodden and wet that you wouldn't go over because you tend probably then just to well, push Laney the leaves. Well, yeah. Lanny We've had to pull Lanny no, no, out of nowhere. Jess. Jess would. No, I don't ride in the fields, period. Yeah, And that right,
1: max. You're exactly right.
2: <laughs> the
4: problem with that is you tend to push the leaves down. They pick up some soil. They can get some disease and things on them. So so you wouldn't do it when it was that wet that mm-hmm. it was, you were struggling to get across the, the plot. The other thing is you wouldn't do it in the peak of the heat of the day because, you know, I mean, it's just... Stupid to be out there doing it at that time of day. There's right, things to be doing. Right. Yeah, so you would do it in the morning or in the evening as the time to do it. Yeah. And what is it? A stomata, is that
2: right? Stomata.
4: Boom.
1: Huh?
2: But I, I want to say, uh, you know, it can. It doesn't only enter the stomata. There's little cracks and crevices all over the t- leaf yeah. that uh, they can enter.
3: Okay, so where I, where I wanted to go a minute ago when I was asking Mac to look that up. We know from our experience and what we have done in years past, this was prior to Mac. Mac, you probably were
1: maybe about
3: the eighth grade over at Heritage Academy. You were probably just learning what girls were, might be my guess. But we <laughs> were growing this incredible food plots, and we would take and measure out 10 square feet, take a weed eater. And we and then we were weighing that biomass, to, but correct me if I'm wrong. But we felt like we were growing between eight and ten tons of forage per acre. That is an incredible number, guys. Because, Mac, I'm I don't know. I'm looking at you, rye grass, the the cheapest thing somebody can plant. What? How much does it grow per acre?
0: So this is this is from our good friends over at the Mississippi State Extension Agency. But as far as a dry Hay option, it's about 2,000 pounds of dry matter of forage per acre.
3: Okay, so let's get so we're it.
0: talking about four to five times that. A- at least. Exactly.
3: And, guys, if you've got a – my point is, you've only got a few – you know, you've got a finite amount of food plus That's right. In, in my case, I've got a two-and-a-half, three-acre food. Mm-hmm. That's all I got. Yeah. So I want to grow as much tonnage of forage – As as I can. And so that's where these the, – the, the, the blends that have – Nebraskas in them that also have clovers in them and cereal those all of a sudden we're just talking about a lot of forage mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it, it it when you once you understand that lanny yeah that's it right makes, it, it makes, makes a lot, lot more so sense we get it we get just just look, uh, i'm looking at you steven around here there's a lot of guys that just go to the co-op and buy a bag of rye grass yeah. And there's no nutritional or very little nutritional
0: value, and that's that. That's one thing that I was going to add to that. So, at two thousand pounds of dry forage matter, there's only fifty to sixty percent of that is uh, digestible, digestible nutrients. Yeah. So,
3: really, you're you're and looking on some at Nebraska's
0: because you're at eighty and ninety percent, right? On yeah, I mean
3: well, eighty four. We've yeah. got a test come back, and that's I think you would confirm that yeah. it they're highly digestible. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm.
4: and I mean that's why we use them at home. So the the thing is that it, what you'd do with um, with brassicas, is you grow at a time of year when your ryegrass won't be growing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're know you growing through tough, dry conditions um, and storing feed in a, in a big plant that can stand up there and hold it, whereas ryegrass, what it does is it reaches a ceiling yield really quickly. So it'll get to about, um, in our terms, we say three three 3,500 kilograms of dry mm. matter, so 3,500 pounds of dry matter standing, not even knee-high, and that's where it reaches its ceiling yield. What happens after that is the, 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 the older leaves die and then the the plant produces a new leaf; the old one dies, and mm. so it's it's not actually growing more; it's just replacing those leaves. So so ryegrass reaches sealing you you've got to chop it off; you've got to then get it back into a growing state. But what happens is that you come into a dry period, and ryegrass shuts down, whereas your brassicas will still keep in, keep on building forage, building biomass, mm-hmm. and keep growing into those um, into those drier conditions when it gets really dry like it is now they'll sit and they'll hold that mass they won't lose it like a ryegrass plant would and then when you get that re- um, rain in the fall you'll get that bounce back and you'll get more growth and the plant can put on that more more biomass and it'll be able to hold it so so that's the really important thing to know there's some massive differences not just in forage quality between ryegrass and, and um, brassicas as well but there's the ability to, to grow and to hold that biomass that it's grown and, and make that available for the animals.
3: Mac, what you got?
0: And one thing that's that's interesting to me, talking to Stephen, is how y- you actually put animals on these fields that you're testing to see how they adapt and, and, and how they actually forage on these food sources. And, and, and that, to me, is super interesting, how we were talking about your, your shield grains and your clovers and how the, the, the rye can be more of a filler, but really without the clovers, it, it, it really wouldn't do much at all.
4: Yep, that's exactly right. I mean, to get the best out of a, a ryegrass-based pasture, you've got to have clover. You've got to have a leg, legume in there because that's where the quality is. That's what's driving the animal performance. And so, it's no point in just buying cheap, cheap ryegrass. You've right. got to make sure you've got that balance there with the white clover.
1: And if you're going to take the time, you know, you've got you got the land. You got to work the land. You, you got all these costs, you know, if you're going to take the time to put some seed out, put some good seed out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, just the, it. cheapest it's the, the cheapest part of the equation. It's the
3: cheapest part of the equation, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. d- d- Stephen, I mean, we, we l- preach that. L- yeah.
1: The most least expensive part of the equation. Yeah. We don't have cheap seed. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. You know, if you go buy it,
3: it's, it's expensive. But in that whole equation, it's, it's the, the least expensive thing. That's right.
0: The way I look at it is if I could spend $60 and get eight tons of food, Mm-hmm. I'd probably spend that $60. Oh, that's right. That's right. And you were tight. Yeah, I'm
1: fan- <laughs> He's <laughs> I tighter than I am, I believe. I, gotta, nah, no I, I think he is. I, I don't know, think I got is. a banker as a dad. So yeah, a I, think he's, I, I think he's
3: tighter than I am. Austin, have you got another question that we can uh, – well, well, Lainey, I didn't know you had a question.
1: I mean, how come I can't ask questions? I mean, every, every podcast you point me for questions, I don't even get to say anything around
3: here. Austin, <laughs> yeah, hang, hang on.
1: Away. Okay, this might be a little bit off-subject. I understand how turkeys breed and how deer breed. And I've heard you talk about breeding plants for a long time. Help me understand <laughs> that process. And I've also, on that, what is germ plasma? Uh, <laughs> germ plasma? Well, germ plasm, germ plasm
4: is just a fancy word for parents. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so um, it's a really good question to ask. And um, and Mac touched on it a wee bit there because we, we select our parents First, right mm-hmm. here. So so um, what we do is we, we pick plants we like the look of and we think, hey, that one's interesting, we'll cross it with that one. But one of the things that we do before we get to that stage is we screen all the potential parents that we have to see if they're palatable. We put animals across them. Ah. If they are not palatable, they don't get eaten by animals. They don't the even animals. get to they go into breeding breed. program. They don't get to breed. Yeah. <laughs> and then so we, we start with parent like plants. <laughs> with g- <laughs> <laughs> we start with germplasm that actually is palatable to animals and then we will cross that. And so we will um, plant the plants out. We will look at them individually, individual plants. Mm-hmm. We'll have thousands of plants planted out. We'll take the ones that we like the look of and we think that they're a good match with this one over here. And then we will cross them and so they will um, be planted in a pollen proof tent and then they will cross ah, and pollinate
1: we, each other okay, and, okay. or
4: you, you, you we use bees to get in there and pollinate mm-hmm. them as well sometimes we do it by hand we do it in, in glass houses as well and there's times when we have to actually go through and trigger the plants ourselves as well and so we huh. so we then harvest that seed and then that's when we start our um our um uh, program of testing to see if the genetics are there if we've got what we want if Hmm. we've got the traits that we want if we haven't we'll then start doing other things to back cross so it's pretty much like
1: everything else you get what you want leave them in a room together and then
0: (laughs) then eventually (laughs) (laughs) something happens and and it's crazy it starts with a i mean a a yard by yard area it's a very small area that and then it just slowly grows and grows and grows until Mm -hmm. they so yeah. you can sell
4: it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, we can start with a few ounces of seed, mm-hmm. and in five years we'll have a few... Th- that's why it takes so long pounds. for us to get this stuff. Yeah,
3: yeah, it does. <laughs> I mean, it's just simply, it's just that whole multiplication rate. Right. Yeah, good thing
2: they, they make multiple seeds per plant. Yeah, yeah. no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah,
3: in, and Lanny, there's things, you may not uh, remember this, but uh, through the years we've had some things that we got real successful with. Uh, we knew we were going to be successful when we would bring them to other hemispheres. Oh. So we doubled the, 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 the we shortened the plant breeding time by moving them by by moving them so you were growing them in the southern hemisphere growing them in the northern hemisphere and you know you had to really have people you trusted Just like the endless summer absolutely
4: yep we can do that because you know they they're a long uh these braskets are a long cycle thing um they're about a 12 month crop or an 11 month crop and um so what we can do is we can plant um, northern and southern hemisphere so autumn Fall in New Zealand, so March in New Zealand, and then up here in the fall as well, hmm. and then we can get a January harvest at home and a July harvest up here, and so you can double up.
3: Cool. Yeah, when you got something hot and you know it's going to be good, that's that's what they do. Mac, you need to leave the room. What do you got?
0: No, I had I have one more thing I want to say. So what's so interesting is you think New Zealand is on the complete opposite side of the globe, but Stephen gets this seed to our bags in six
4: weeks from harvest, fresh. Yeah, so we, um, yeah, six weeks of the transit time for shipping. I mean, we've got to harvest it, we've got to process it, and then we put it in a container, and it's up here in six weeks' time. It's um, it's actually the, well, that's from when it leaves our store to when it arrives in, in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, the actual transit time from New Zealand to the U.S. is only three weeks, but it takes about three weeks for us to get it from our store to the port, that the, the
3: deep-sea port that it goes out of. So, hmm. Cool. It's just pretty fascinating how it Very. works. Yeah.
1: yeah. The whole plant breeding I mean, thing it, is just a- Amazing to me, Sorry. and then we then we pray that a pirate
5: ship doesn't get us the <laughs> Hey, they better not. we we'll
1: have to do, we'll have to take matters in our own hands. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming in a John boat. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know, we I send got... Austin after them
3: <laughs> Stephen, let's circle back to Clovers just a little bit. the Boy, we did the, the you know the longer we're in business, the more that we do. I mean, we're where we these animals these, these deer are we consider them our customers I and mean, we're trying to please them but it just seems like boy clovers really fit a bill and they're so important to, to what uh, a gamekeeper managing a property and is there so i asked you about growing brassicas is there some tricks or techniques or things you've learned that, uh, that a guy can apply to a clover and, and help him have a better clover stand?
4: Well, it's um, pretty much the same principles, Bobby. It's all about planning. It's preparation of the soil. It's um, it's making sure you've done the, the soil test. When I mentioned with brassicas before, I said phosphate was the key element for getting them established. You've got to have that phosphate right. For legumes, for clovers, it's actually soil pH has got to be corrected. So that's the key one for your um, when you're doing a soil test with your with your legumes, you're wanting to plant a legume. Get that soil test done. Check the pit soil pH. Make sure it's in the right zone for your legumes. They like it high. They like, um, in our terms, we'd be saying six, eight, seven, two, and that's when they grow really well. So get that, um, get that spot on, and that's the uh, that's the critical thing there. And again, make sure that the soil's well consolidated. Brassicas will um, establish on the surface, not too badly, You know, from a, from an oversowing situation or a direct drilling situation. But clover, really, the best way to establish it is in a cultivated situation. I mean, it does really well in cultivated situations and it's got to be right near the surface. So, so, you know, definitely only half an inch deep or less.
3: How do you feel about coated seeds?
4: Yeah, well, coated seeds are important for some things. And legumes, actually, uh, it is quite important for legumes because what you can do is you can bring in some things such as inoculants into that. And what the inoculant does is it stimulates the the nodules on the clover roots to start the nitrogen fixation cycle. So, with clovers, um, it's really important that um, you can get that um, inoculation process going, and that's one way of bringing it in is through coated seed. So,
3: yeah, yeah, you know, we've become a fan of, of coating yeah, seeds. it's Great and for the wildlife. It, uh, it, it kind of confuses a lot of people, um, but the more you kind of study and learn about it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating help to get uh, it, that seed established for a wildlife
1: manager especially because we often don't have the best soil conditions or we don't have the the best seed beds you know or we're planting in these you know remote places so uh, coated seed has a is a is a I think a great tool for the wildlife manager
2: yeah I love that final forage yeah. product of ours it's a, a coated brassica product you I mean if you it. think about it uh, you know we were starting out recommending 10 pounds an acre now we're, we're you know thinking more back. eight and you know, that coating takes up space in the bag. But when you consider that you really only need one seed, you know, roughly every eight Square inches foot. to a foot, yeah. having that nitrogen coating uh, on the outside of the seed, so the day that seed sprouts, it has You've a healthy environment
1: yeah, right around it, and uh, around. it it makes a huge difference. Yeah, we're looking forward to doing mo- more coated seeds in the future. Yeah, I so, think
3: that the future is going to be, too. there's going to be, so what, guys, if, you, if you're listening, to, so the farmers out there, the precision farmers, if you buy a bag of corn, it's got, it's Seed stacked with on. different coatings and it, bacterias that help this and prevent that, and so that technology is kind of making its way over into what we're doing. Our clovers have been coated since when we first oh, all, started bringing yeah, them over. I all, uh, I
2: where I really good. started noticing the difference is when I was doing that, you know, poor man's no-till yeah. stuff or the throw and mow um that's not the greatest conditions in the world but you know the seed is having to sprout on the surface Mm -hmm. and having that coating and that nutrient pack makes a big difference
1: so you've been using final forage well
2: yes if not i'm i'm using the seed coat on it gotcha
3: so one of the things
2: the delta ag seed coat gotcha
3: that uh, that that that's that's right. That's a that's a really good one, D- Johnny MacRae Delta. Actually, Coat So <clears throat> one of the things that uh, I've since we started this, I've been really proud of, is the fact that you know our blends that you know, when I, we think of maximum winter bulbs, uh, final forage, the radish, all, all those are super high in protein. And guys, when we started this, would come up to me and go, like, you know. I'm not saying I'm the smartest guy in the room, but so they would come up and try to say, well, you know what? My deer's already gr- – they've already grown their antlers. Why do I need to plant something so super high-protein in September when they've already grown their antlers? And why can't I just plant a bag of rigorous? And I would, you know, explain to them or try my best that, hey, deer love high-protein food sources. And even though they had, yes, I totally agree with you, and they've already grown their antlers, we'd like to carry them through the fall and winter in the best shape that they can be. So when they go through the rut, they're not, you know, they lose a lot of weight in the rut. Twenty percent, twenty five percent. So we're helping carry them through the rut, or helping them rebound from the rut. That all that good quality nutrition is there. So they immediately, when uh, Lanny one of your favorite words, antler genesis. Mm-hmm. When they drop those antlers and started, we want them to be in the best, best shape, shape that they, they can, can be. be in, so that they don't have to replenish that whole skeletal system before they can send the excess to their antlers. I'm kind of oversimplifying it, but sure. that's that's kind of the whole the, the what biologic has been about. Sure, and these
1: brassicas, I mean, even though they're high in protein, they're very palatable. I mean, they have sugars in them. What's they call bricks and all that other kind of stuff. So, you know, and and we all know um, that, what is it, Austin said it a thousand times, if you can give a whitetail herd a consistent diet of 16% protein or more, you know, they're going to, you know, express their full potential.
3: So. Well, and I think you said the magic word in my mind. I'm looking around the room at everybody and Max paying attention to this, Uh, Dudley, you're texting, you're, you're – so herd. Herd. It, it's not just about the bucks.
1: No, it's about the herd. It,
3: it's about that whole herd.
1: It, yeah. You know, the more we're learning about, you know, genetics, that even that doe, if she's got that 16% protein level and she's not stressed, her fawn will exhibit his full genetic potential earlier in life. You know, so that – I think that – I don't know. I'm just making an assumption here, but that's why deer in the Midwest, you know, they have this abundance of forage, so at one and two years old – they don't look like our one- and two-year-old deer, you know what I mean? Because they
0: – I mean, there he is right there. Look <laughs> at Hercules. He is about uh, a year and a half. Look I like <laughs> I like to eat good year-round. I don't yeah. know about y'all. And yeah, then you yeah, think yeah. of the clovers too. I mean, the legumes during that antler genesis time. I and mean, yeah. when that clover comes out of sleeping through the, the dormant period, I mean, it starts shooting up. And, I mean, it's a readily available soup, food source yep. in those yeah. spring and summer and months. And
2: we, we've mentioned this earlier, but the – drive home point for me with these brassicas is uh you know we plant the blends we plant the clover Uh, those are great at the right time of year but usually in january and february we those are lip high i say it you know it's like a putting green out there well some of those brassicas that they i don't like saying this least prefer but that are there at the end of the season uh that's that's where their food is outside of You know, you manage your habitat in the woods, too. But that's the remaining plant out there for them to eat on uh, by design.
3: So, uh, Stephen, sometimes through these 20 years, we'll have a guy, and he'll call from south Mississippi where they don't get a lot of frost. And we don't know the exact rationale here, the scientific explanation for it. Or it's south Alabama, and they don't get a lot of frost south there's kind of a you know through that southern part of the states where we're in right here and they'll say well you know what i, I planted that maximum my, my deer didn't eat it till about late january or february and it, it makes us scratch our heads because we can't I mean, they, they eat it as soon as it comes out of the ground here what could be happening in that scenario we i'll tell you what we think tell me what you think. a lot of times if de- if a deer's never seen it before First time he first time it's planted, they may not know what it is, and so there's they're a little slow to figure it out, or there could be a heck of a mass crop going on, and that pulls them off of the food plot for a little while, and then it kind of gets away from them, and it gets a little bigger, and maybe it's not as tender. So those are two scenarios that come to mind. But what what t- tell me what uh, from a science perspective, what's going on? Now? Well,
4: I think you hit the nail on the head. It's that they've never seen it before, and and I can you know remember as a kid watching sheep graze turnips and you put them into a paddock and the first four three or four days they spend the whole time walking around the fence line and lambs in particular we you put them into leafy turnip and they just don't know what it is and so they'll walk around the fence line eat all the grass and then eventually they'll go on to the leafy turnip and they'll start eating it and it's I think probably that's got a lot to do with it there may not be a lot of food plots around that area they may not have seen food plots before so they they just simply don't want to do or it, or a
3: broadleaf plant, broadleaf. and yeah. learning curve, yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, exactly. It's a it's a learning curve. They they're not quite sure what it is. There could be that there's other forage about, um, and it could be simply that the conditions aren't quite cool enough as well, and that the sugars might not be quite elevated enough in the plant, and and there might be another forage source where they've got um, some some energy levels, uh, uh, plants that have got better energy levels at that time, and it's not until the plant the and The growing season cools down a little bit. Those elevations occur in the um, in the sugars, and that might be the other thing that's driving it. And bingo, they get onto it.
3: So you know that uh, Dudley, you and I have talked about this numerous times. We've tried to understand those the 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 movement of the sugars, uh, the, yeah. the, This mysterious thing, because there's some people that say that that doesn't happen. That it doesn't change at all, uh, and 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 we, and we don't really know. I mean, we we anecdotally know what we see, but. Uh, uh, People
2: always say frost, and it's, it's not, you know, oh, once the first frost hits, they're all of a sudden really sweet. I mean, I've, I've eaten greens myself, and they're not, I don't notice really a different sweetness. But uh, I, I want to say Bronson and them have, have done a study on this, but uh, it's, a, it's more of a slow transgression. It starts getting cooler. Uh, there's chemical changes in the plants that's going on that kind of thing. I want to say it's not really just immediately after a frost. And and I want to say Bronson or some of that crowd has done a study on this, but uh, it's more of a transgression. You know, it starts getting cooler. The days start getting shorter. uh, Soil, you know, soil temperatures are changing and it's just a chemical change. Uh, You know, plants, uh, you know, they move their energy down into the roots, things like that. But I do believe it, it makes it slightly more palatable as the season progresses.
4: Yeah, and there'll, there'll be a change in the dry matter content at that stage too as the as the plants are, when they're really young and tender and um, conditions are moist and they're, they're growing really rapidly, there's there's very little dry matter in the plant and so they're soft and everything and as you get cool later into the season the dry matter content goes up a wee bit as well and so there's a, there's a change in the, within the plant and there's a number of things for it. But, yeah.
3: We've tried to really try to understand that, and I'm going to say we're not smart enough to figure that out. We we know what we see right. out in out in the woods, and we know what people tell us, and then sometimes we may pick up on that and take that as well this is what's happening but but we really don't know until somebody like you or bronson or i think dr harper craig harper right? yes, he, he spent some time something. with maybe us, it was craig trying to understand it you mm-hmm. know we're not we don't want to mislead anybody but it does seem like after they've been frosted on a time or two all of a sudden it's like it just something happens and the deer just go crazy for
1: well even i mean growing up you know the turnip patch, you waited on it to get a frost but they said they turned sweeter i don't know if that's any maybe that's folklore yeah. too but
2: well you know uh I, I got that re- refractometer that oh, that's right. a few years ago, bricks. and we were going out to the cotton mill and squishing the juice out of the stem and the leaves, and there was a, a very slight difference from from early on to later. Uh, by human standards, it may not be very noticeable, but uh, Toxie hey. always says a, a deer's brain and, and stomach are connected better than ours, and it's, it's just those smell. slight mm-hmm. differences, I think. Uh, that, that really draw them in the later in the season. Again, the the plants in the woods are becoming less right palatable. They don't have as much to eat either. That's yeah, right. so it's it's There's a it's, lot it's going on. Right? Yeah. There's a lot going on. Well, as well. And,
4: and probably the other thing, and I don't know, I'm not an animal scientist, but you probably find that as it cools down, the animal's energy levels requirement goes up uh, as well, yeah. and so they'll be they'll be driven to to actually take in more forage as well. Yeah, so there'll be but, a combination of uh, it won't back, be one thing. It'll be four or five different things.
2: Yeah, and and like at my farm when I first planted brassicas. Uh, they really didn't start utilizing them until the third year and uh, you had mentioned that earlier we've had customers call and say they planted it and the deer never touch it it seems to be a bit of a learning curve especially in the south but it is so worth it you know you might need to have a sacrificial year or two maybe plant smaller patches and let them find it instead of planting a big field of it. But pretty much everybody's using them now, and that's not as much of an issue.
3: Well, anecdotally, it it just seems like it's more South Georgia, South-South Alabama, South-South. In in my mind, it has those, those. Sometimes those people don't even get frost, or mm. it's really really late. I wonder if there's just a correlation. There.
2: I, th- I think another correlation is the organic matter in the soils. You know, a lot of these coastal plain soil types are really sandy. There's not a lot of organic matter, uh, but you get up in these prairies in the north, uh, that good black dirt. Uh, that's going to make a, a tastier plant.
3: Mm. Mm. Yeah. So who else has got questions? Uh, Austin, are you are you still there? Do we didn't are you muted? No, I'm
5: still here. Okay. I'm still here.
3: Have you got anything for Steven?
5: Well, I was gonna talk to him to see, you know, looking back, our Dream Globe variety of turnip is something we've kind of always hung our hat on as being our most cold tolerant Nebraska, the one that's probably gonna be there the latest in the year, uh, as far as its keeping ability and the, the turnip staying you know, firm and not get rotten in the ground. And I was going to ask him, and we've talked about this through emails, but just so everybody can hear it, with the new radish we've been working on, what they see with it as, a start comparing it to other radish varieties from a cold-tolerant standpoint, because as we were talking earlier about, a lot of the radishes in the, in the daikon family seem to be pretty good early on. a lot of people. Really good during the middle part of the season but as that you know really cold weather sets in that's when you see them start to degrade in quality and kind of wilt on you and something like our green glove turnip is really just like hitting its stride at that time of year. So Stephen what have y'all seen in relationship to cold tolerance on that endurance radish? Yeah that's a a good question there Austin
4: because there's probably before I touch on the radish comparison um, with the turnip I'd probably just talk about the two turnip types um, first and you're exactly right the green globe that's what we call a winter turnip it's a it's a hard type bulb. We consider it a hard bulb, but you know, early on it's still a soft bulb. But there's two types of turnips. There's the, what we classify as the winter turnip, which Green Globe is, has that ability to, to maintain the bulb. but doesn't rot out, as you said, in the winter months. And then there's the purple top turnips, which um, in our environment are quite soft bulbs, and they need to be grazed early and they have no ability to go into the winter months. And so I think it's really important that there's a distinguishing um, point made between the two types of turnip as well, you've got to make sure you get the right type of turnip if you want that forage later in the winter. And Green Globe's the one that that does that really well. So then, to go back to your question about you know what are we seeing with the endurance radish and and um, what I would suggest is it's it will do all of the things that the daikon does early because it's it's the radish and it's those traits are quite typical of radishes. They're quick out of the ground, they're quite palatable in sort of that early phase, um, but what we know with the with the endurance is that it will keep its bulb shape and bulb integrity longer than what some of the daikons do what what those early radishes do it won't be as late as the green globe turnip for sure because that's a, a key distinguishing type it's a, it's a really different type for everything and it is probably the latest forage you can get but the endurance will be closer than what the daikon types would be
2: interesting
3: yeah very yeah it sure is well, guys, we, look, I'm looking around the room. Blaney, you got another question. I don't want to hurt your feelings. No, nah,
1: no, nah, <laughs> I mean, I just, it's just amazing what you can continue to learn about these plants. Plants are, you know, just a, a very intriguing part of this whole system, you know, and it's just – it's super cool. Sorry. Well, biologic
3: is steeped in science. No doubt about it. it. We, this, we this is the
1: science it. we always talk about, though. And it's kind of gotten lost over the years. You know, we need to talk about it more. So I'm glad you were here to shed some light on the subject for us for sure.
3: We need to go to New Zealand at some point. We do. Do you do? Yeah. yeah.
1: It's my turn, I think.
2: Yeah, I think it is, brother. yeah I'm with
3: you. <laughs> yeah. It'll be good to see you down there, then. Yeah. <laughs> we do need to go to yeah. New Zealand.
2: Do some skydiving. You know, they've, Surfing, they've got all those. turkey hunting. They've fishing, got all those extreme, extreme sports yeah. Yeah. in New yeah. Zealand.
1: Eat some venison.
3: Come on. Water rafting. Yeah. Hey. So, Stephen, is there a question about these plants that we should have asked you that we had? Or is there something else you can add to help people understand how just how? Well, I think one of the really key things
4: is know what you're buying. You know, for a for a somebody planting a food plot is actually take the time to do the research Mm -hmm. and understand what it is that you actually need and what you're buying because there are, as you said at the top of the show, Bobby. You know, there's a lot of brassicas out there. They ain't all the same. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some big variation in them. There's some that you you know might look good on a piece of paper and might look good in the seed packet, but in the field they're just not fit for purpose. So understand what you're buying. Understand that um, who's bred it. What it's bred for, is it fit for purpose? That's a really, really key point in my mind, because we see it all too often that people buy something thinking it's fit for purpose and it hasn't been selected for grazing. It hasn't got the ability to tolerate the conditions it's been planted into or whatever. So I think that's a really key message. Yeah.
1: Fit for purpose. I like it.
3: Yeah. yeah, it really is. So look, Stephen, why don't you you... We've, at this point, we always like to have a little fun. We kind of turn it over to Dudley. You might want to just kind of lean back here because he can ask you some questions. Uh, yeah. uh, We're we'll, we doing we'll the see.
1: Springfield rapid fire? Uh,
2: yeah. We got some New Zealand stuff and some American stuff. here. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so it, Steven's been here enough. So yeah.
3: it's a, a, a little thing we do. It's brought to you by our friends at Springfield Army. Mm-hmm. Lanny, you've got one. Have you had it on your hip last few Let me few tell you days? what.
1: This thing, that, that is one heck of a pistol. I'm going to go on and tell you. Rapid fire? I mean. I'm glad I hadn't had to use it yet, but
3: (laughs) they are nice pistols. So, yeah. So, our friends, guys, y'all need to check out Springfield Army. They've got some great pistols. But go ahead, Dudley. All
1: right. uh, Does he know the rules? So he's going to give you two, and you can pick one or the other, or say neither. Yeah, you can say neither if you need to. And uh, forgive
2: me on some of my pronunciation in advance. Okay. All right. All right. Right. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. L and P or Coca Cola. L and P. Oysters or mussels. Oysters. Normal potato fries or Kumara fries.
4: Kumara fries. Kumara fries. Okay, I,
2: I got to write all this stuff down. North Island or South Island. South
4: Island, no doubt.
2: Golden kiwi or regular kiwi.
4: Ooh, that's a tough one. They're both pretty good, but I'd go golden kiwi. They're not as kiwi okay. as the um, um, as the ah. green ones.
2: American food: grits or oatmeal. Oatmeal. <laughs> okay. Even know. Uh, uh <laughs> overall granular fertilizer or foliar fertilizer?
4: Oh that's yeah. They they yeah. Can I You can, can say I, both I'd say both because okay. they, they both do different things and they're both appropriate the Uh times.
2: elk or stag? Stag. Mm. Saltwater fishing or freshwater fishing? Fresh. Mm. Clover or brassica?
0: Ooh,
4: you hit <laughs> him in that's blow the bell. <laughs> <laughs> Do I have to answer that
0: one? Uh, um, yeah. i pass that one. <laughs> you can pass.
2: Football or baseball? Baseball. T, sweet or unsweet? You Un- better answer this right. <laughs> oh,
4: it's hanging on this, isn't it? The whole day is hanging on this. <laughs> unsweet.
1: All right. Go. What is L and P?
4: Oh well, it's a famous drink in New Zealand. Uh, oh, it's, we'll we'll, it's, it's world famous in, in New Zealand. You've got to have. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it's what's called lemon and pyro. Huh. It's uh, it's uh, yeah, it's sort of a yeah, just a soft drink. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. I'm gonna have to have one one day. Yeah. We got to go to New Zealand. Yeah, you have to. I bet we can,
4: especially maybe is it? we can. Kumara get, fries. Yeah, kumara. <laughs> kumara. So those are sweet <laughs> potato, <laughs>
2: potato <laughs> <laughs> fries. <laughs> sweet oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Sweet. I actually have a friend who has an Instagram page dedicated to.
1: Taste-testing sweet potato
3: fries. Yeah. Anyway. Cool. Well, Bobby, if you'll quit texting over there. Yeah, Yeah. I was. I was looking something up. Uh, So what we've got (laughs) next, uh, those were good answers. Mac, I want to get you to add. We've got a question for you, Stephen. One question. If you get this right, we're playing for Fort 258. He's a listener that left a review. So, guys, if you want to have a chance to win a – if you, if you want to have a chance to win a prize, you can leave a review for us. But, uh, so if you get this right, Fort 258 wins a uh, – we've got the Nosler 9th Edition Reloading Manual right there on the right table. on the table. Yeah, that's a – I think that's
1: like, – And you know we got add-ons this week. Yeah, well, we've got uh, – A uh, case of Uncle Ray's potato chips. A whole case. Yeah. Oh, wow. I may have broken into that this <laughs> Did morning. If you want to eat some of the prize – Golly! Yeah, I saw him eating some nah, chips. you know, morning. so we got this uh, boatload of chips promotion going on with Sea Arc and uh, and, our, and our friends at Uncle Ray's with the Mossy Oak line of potato chips. So we're going to send potato chips out too.
3: So, guys, you can go in a convenience store now and find yep. these Uncle Ray's yep. chips that are in Mossy Oak bags.
1: Yeah, there's Obsessed. There is Bottomland Barbecue, and then there's Cheddar and Jalapeno. So check them
2: out.
3: Yeah. And Dudley has he's got about three cases in his office, yeah, Stephen. Yeah. They're all opened. He's just eating out of bags randomly. But all the they, time. you
2: can find them in the wild. My buddy Hayes sent me a picture of, of two bags of it today from uh, Madison, Mississippi.
1: Yeah, they're hard to find because they're selling so fast. So grab yourself. Oh camp. wow! If yeah. going, if, he, if he gets it right, it'll be a case. Chips go out. Bobby,
2: okay. What's your, what's your <laughs> favorite so which, of the which chips? Which flavor? Though? Yeah,
3: yeah eat the um, the obsessed. Which, mine's all, obsessed too. Yeah, all obsessed. They're right.
2: all good. You mean all dressed?
3: All dressed. All dressed. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's all I'm dressed trying. obsession. Okay, Mac, you have the
0: question. I do. All right, Mr. Stephen, is there an old Zealand?
4: Ooh, Ooh. you're from New Zealand. Yes, there is. What? Uh, And uh, (laughs) there
0: is. Where is it?
4: The Netherlands. Ah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah, it's a it's a region in the Netherlands, Zealand. Learn yeah. something yeah. new every day. So we hear about New Zealand all the yeah, time. Yeah, never sure. heard of all <laughs> This is yeah. I know you came up with that
1: question. Yeah, it's a it's a region <laughs> in
4: the Netherlands, and it's um it's where the um one of the explorers um. Abel Tasman, who discovered New Zealand, or who came to New Zealand in the early stages—I don't know whether he discovered it—and um, yeah, that's where he was from. He was so, wrong. yeah, yeah. So you now. probably
2: learned that in seventh-grade history class, didn't yeah.
3: you? No, I never did history. <laughs> 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 he was, in was t- So, <laughs> Australia was settled by, um, if if my history is correct, was settled by a bunch of outcasts from England that may have been. Uh, uh, you know, prisoners, maybe uh, outlaws, criminals. Yeah. That's yeah. right. That's what about New Zealand? South, Where did you guys come <laughs> uh, from?
4: Well, um, a, a lot of the early settlers were from the UK, from from England as well. Yeah, Yeah. Not our, not not criminals though. <laughs> yeah, well, not like our Australian cousins. Yeah, well, we're sorry to hear about your queen. That was <laughs> yeah, recently yeah. passed away. Yeah, that was sad for the Commonwealth. Yeah, yeah see, I, I,
1: You know, you're, I, you're so worldly. No, you're not. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, I,
3: all that kind of fascinates me. Oh, I'd, fascinates I'd like to go to, to Europe one day and talk to other gamekeepers over there and see all that. Bill and,
1: Gibson just got back.
3: It, you know, I got a random text from him last night saying, Leave, uh, leaving London. That's all it said. <laughs> <laughs> leaving uh, London. So okay, He guess was thinking le- about he's you. He's left London, headed on. I don't think he meant to send that to me.
1: I just got a text from him that said, in Amsterdam. That's all I got.
3: (laughs) What would Bill be doing in Amsterdam? was Bill doing in Amsterdam.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he's going to museums.
2: (laughs) Oh, man.
3: All right. So, uh, have we got anything else we need to cover, Stephen? We have. Yeah.
1: Thank you for being here and thank you for what you do for Biologic. No doubt about it. Without what you all provide for us, we wouldn't be here today. So. Well,
4: yeah, and we appreciate the business we get from you guys yes, and sir. from your customers. I mean, it's really important for us to that we we connect with our customers yeah. and their customers, and this is a great way to do it. So thank you for having me here. Yes,
3: sir. Anytime. I'm not even going to ask what we learn because we all learn so much. No, doubt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it 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 really is, and and I really think our audience guys, if y'all are paying attention, you've learned something that you can apply to managing your own properties. Here. No doubt about it. Stephen, you're not trying to sell something. Whenever you're here, you just give the facts, and I really appreciate that. You've always been straight up and honest, and and uh, the, our relationship is just one that we're very proud of.
1: No doubt about it. So,
3: yep. All right, guys. So uh, Tuesday nights, the Delvin show's still Show still rocking yeah. and rolling. Uh, we've got a new one coming up, but we, and we've got some stuff that's about to come out with with Doctor Harper. Oh, nice! Really good stuff. You know called him the other day and asked him to do a podcast, oh, and, yeah. and he was like, I'll be glad to, but what about if I come down there and do it in person instead of on the radio, and don't you have some does I could shoot? Oh, yeah, <laughs> we do. That's he, our guy. I like that. Out of all him.
2: the places he could go, Yeah, you know. Well, and, but, and of
3: course, and so he he said, I don't want to sound like I'm inviting myself, but dude, I know you. we got a
1: fine I, crop of dogs.
2: Well,
3: <laughs> he's the kind of biologist slash extension, well, he's that he's the he's our kind of guy right? hundred,
2: oh man I mean, he's, he's so honor. down it to earth is, you know i like
1: it yeah so when's he coming
3: well we're working out the details so, okay. Sounds so yeah. good. our people are talking to his people and you know we're making we'll it get some
1: out, does so. lined up no problem
3: yep yeah, that's it so i'm looking at the board i moved it a little further away and i can't hardly see it now but i think that's pretty I much that's everything it. yeah yeah Yeah, so uh, look, I wanted to say hello or or welcome to, we've got uh, a new guy helping us with the podcast and a bunch of other things around here, Rob Kinney. Oh, Rob Kinney in the house. The man
1: with two first names. Yeah. Rob and, oh, I never thought about that. Yeah. It's not spelled like a
3: first name. Yeah. Is Rob short for Robert or Robin? Robert. 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 He said
1: Robert. Yeah. Robert. Uh Robert. Two Roberts. Uh, two Roberts in the we house. didn't
3: know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm just going to call him Red-Headed Robert. Red Robert.
1: No, I got gotcha.
3: you. So. Stephen, we're going to go out to dinner tonight at Anthony's, so uh, get, get, get ready. ready. It's going to be good. That's so. right. I'm looking forward to it. All right, guys, I think that's it. I think we lost Austin somewhere along the way. He's probably – Travel safe, Austin. Yeah, he's uh, upset about missing that deer twice from what I understand. (laughs) Yeah. That makes uh, my
2: mess up in Oklahoma a few years ago. I feel a lot better. What happened there? I don't want to get into it, but, uh, you know, the time I –
3: Yeah, well, just real quick. Give us a (laughs) 30-second Am
2: am I even allowed to talk about this? Yes. Well, uh, I had a 150-inch deer uh, at about 10 yards. And uh, made a bad shot on him. And uh, I felt terrible. You know, I was being filmed and stuff. I'm not a professional hunter. But uh, anyway, two nights later. There's no such thing as a professional The deer hunt. comes back, walks under the stand, same deer. Same and spot. I did the exact same thing again.
1: <laughs> Repeat. Yeah. And I've, not, I've,
2: not been, I've not been invited back on the hunt ever since. <laughs> and of course, Austin killed like two amazing deer yeah. just to rub it in. Yeah. So. <laughs>
3: so, the funny thing about that hunt, if I did, it tends to take another 30 seconds. They sent a text one night where they were staying. There was like a.
1: That air conditioner. Uh, yes,
2: yes.
3: That, that when you turned it on, it just got louder and louder and louder. Yeah. I don't know how y'all slept in that room. I
2: may have to share that
1: video. Oh,
2: that, was, that
3: thing was, was serious. I just laugh every time I see it. Dudley, that, that was fun. I'm sorry that happened to you. In the, yeah. I
1: don't, it happens I don't to mess everybody. up on a lot of hunts. Yeah, you just
3: hadn't hunted enough. Yeah, it, hadn't, done, know I've yet never yet. shot one twice now. <laughs> I shot have.
1: one seven times.
3: You never <laughs> did ask how many times <laughs> it took me to kill my elk. How many shots? So, All right, guy, Why don't you say goodbye, Dudley?
1: Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Mac Mac